0: We've officially started our preparation for Christmas Day. We've uh, officially entered into the Christmas season. And so I say this every single Christmas. Some of you have heard me say this over and over and over. Some of you, maybe this is your first Christmas season with us and you've never heard this. But I want you to know my prayer. Every time we come into the Christmas season, I have a prayer for myself. And I pray it for me and for my family and I pray it over this church and I pray it for you and it's this very simple prayer, God give me a new insight in the old story. Give me something new because it can be a challenge sometimes and especially as a pastor, most pastors if they're honest they'll admit that the Christmas season is a really difficult time because it it. People are so used to the story of Christmas, it's sometimes difficult to get them beyond what, they, what they've become comfortable with and what they know. And so my prayer is always for me, um, I know that truth, that, that the story of the gospel and the story of the incarnation and the coming of Jesus, it, it's, it's never, we're never going to fully uh, empty the well, so to speak. There's always going to be new truth. There's always going to be new. Not that not that the truth hasn't always stood for ages and ages, but my understanding of it. There's always more for me to draw from the well of the gospel and truth. And so every year my prayer is God show me something that I didn't see before. And I pray that for you. I pray God help help our church to see something. Every single one of you individually, that God will let you see something new in the story of Christmas that you've never seen before, or to remember something that you forgot about. Maybe it's a truth that you've that you've knew and God's revealed to you before, but but however your life may be going right now, because every year it's different, isn't it? Every year Christmas rolls around, our circumstances, our life is different. And maybe we just need to be reminded of something that we knew all along, but circumstances kinda cause us to forget. And so that's what I pray for me. And I want you to know that's what I pray for you. A new insight in the old story. So uh, I want us to do something together this year um, in our messages that we've never done before. I want to ask you if, if God has ever done this for you because he's done this for me before. And I, and I believe he's done it for you if you'll think about it. Has he ever taken something in your life that's very familiar? Something that you know very well. But use that familiar thing to teach you a lesson, teach you something new. And I'm talking about something that can be so ordinary as like an object, something that you have, something that you do, something that you see or hear or experience that you've seen or heard or experienced or used or handled a million times. But in one moment, God takes that ordinary thing that you're very familiar with and teaches you something new. Some kind of profound truth, so memorable that from that point on, every time you see it, every time you use it, every time you touch it, you remember that lesson that God taught you. Now that could be lots of different things and lots of different forms for all of us. But what I want to do over the next several weeks is take something that I believe most of us are very familiar with. Uh, the greatest, in my opinion, um, Christmas holiday special ever produced—a Charlie Brown Christmas—and um, if you if you disagree with me, that's okay. You can be wrong, <laughs> and I'll still love you. But um, at least, and if you, if, at least I believe most of us have at least seen a charlie brown christmas i fear that because the show isn't on regular syndication on television anymore as like it used to be and it doesn't come on network television every single year that there's going to be generations to come that forget about it or that don't see it and and that and that burdens me um and so i'm I, I, there there's almost like i have this mission to make sure that 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 kids and younger people like see it and understand it and and experience it because I think it's so great. Um, but I want to give God a chance to do that with this simple cartoon this Christmas to take something that some of us have seen over and over and over and over. If you're nerdy like me you've, you you may have even memorized parts of it. There are parts of Charlie Brown Christmas that I can just recite from memory because I've seen it so many times. Something that you're very familiar with. But give God an opportunity to teach us something with just a simple example so that every time you watch it, from now on, you'll remember the things that we talk about. You'll remember a new truth or a new insight that God has taught you and when you watch it, you'll make that connection. And so, just a little bit of background. Charles Schultz was the creator of the Peanuts comic strip. And the Charlie Brown Christmas was produced and first aired on network television by CBS on December 9th, 1965. Does anybody remember? December 9th, 1965. There's a few of us that do, few of you. I don't. That was before my time, uh, but some of y'all remember it. Did anybody, would, would anybody say, I remember when a Charlie Brown Christmas came on TV for the first time on that day, and I think I watched it the first time it showed on TV. Anybody? Okay. All right. Oh, oh, to be, uh, I, I'm so jealous. Um, I would <laughs> I would love to be able to say that. Um, I've, done, I've watched lots of documentaries. I've read lots of books about the history of, of uh, how this particular Christmas special came to be put on television. And I'll tell you, um, without going into lots of details, there are lots of stories. But there is a laundry list of reasons why a Charlie Brown Christmas should have been an epic failure. Even the people who produced it. Even Lee Mendelssohn, who was one of Charles Schultz's partners, one of the animators who helped put it together, right before it aired on television, he even said, This is going to be a total flop. They believe, some of the, the executives, the network behind it, thought it, it, it was super low budget, very little bit of money spent on it. They did things that nobody did at that time. They used real children to. Voiced the actors it was never that way it was always adults who voiced the the kid characters they used real kids to voice the kids. nobody had ever done that before and they used jazz music as the soundtrack for a kid's tv show like there are all this laundry list of things that that would have made it a complete failure but for 54 years it came on tv every christmas 54 years and if you read anything or you know anything about charles schultz uh, his family and friends uh, referred to him as sparky that was his nickname and sparky was a devout follower of jesus charles schultz was a believer and it showed up in his comic strip and how many of you used to read peanuts in the in the newspaper every time i mean that that was always i felt like peanuts was always at the very top of the funny papers as we used to call it and um, I remember the very last strip that was published in the newspaper in the year 2000 and I cut it out of the newspaper and I've had it on a bulletin board in my office for for a really long time but it was the very last one that he wrote but um, his faith very much came out in the comic strips and uh, and I found an interesting um, fact that was in a 2016 article that was published by The Atlantic Schultz wrote and drew more than 17,800 peanuts comic strips. 17,800. Of those 17,000, almost 18,000 comic strips, more than 560 of those had a biblical, theological, or religious reference in the comic strip. Now you say 560 out of almost 18,000 doesn't really sound like a lot. And I I would think that too, but let me put it into perspective. One of the most famous scenes in Charlie Brown and Peanuts comic strips is the scene where Lucy would take the football and she would entice Charlie Brown to try to kick the football. And every time he backed up and was determined he was going to kick it, what did she do? She pulled the ball away at the last second and sent him tumbling landed flat on his back. Everybody knows that. That scene only showed up in Charles Schulz' comic strips 61 times. Now, as much as we know Charlie Brown for kicking the football or not for kicking the football, that was only written into his strips 61 times, but 560 times he made reference to the Bible. He made reference to God. He made reference to Jesus. And so Charles Schultz was a man of faith. And a Charlie Brown Christmas definitely has elements of Charles Schultz's belief in Jesus in it. So I think that we'll be able to find some truths. What I want us to do, these are not a series of sermons about Charlie Brown. These are, I'm preaching the Bible, y'all. I'm, trying to, or I'm going to do the best I can to preach the word. But we're going to use Charlie Brown and this cartoon to illustrate some biblical truths that are that are in scripture for all of us and I want you to connect those two things an ordinary familiar thing and connect it with the spiritual truth okay so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning so if you got your Bible you want to go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 9 we're going to read some verses there Um, but we're going to introduce this morning with a couple of clips from a Charlie Brown Christmas and these are these are a couple of scenes from the very beginning Of 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 the strip of the cartoon, and um, we kind of get our first look at the trouble that Charlie Brown is having um, this Christmas season uh, that the cartoon is set in. So, um, take a look at these scenes with me.
1: I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown. You're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. Nobody sent me a Christmas card today. I almost wish there weren't a holiday season. I know nobody likes me. Why do we have to have a holiday season to emphasize it? Thanks for the Christmas card you sent me, Violet. I didn't send you a Christmas card, Charlie Brown. Don't you know sarcasm when you hear it? Pit pin, you're the only person I know who can raise a cloud of dust in a snowstorm.
0: Isn't it always impressive how Charlie, how Snoopy can just down a bone like that? Yeah. Like, I always wondered when I watched it. how's he doing that? Um, Now, I want you to pay attention to what we see in those scenes. Um, Charles Schultz often admitted personally in interviews that he related to the character of Charlie Brown more than any other Peanuts character, and that when he wrote and developed the character of Charlie Brown, he based it very much on himself and how he felt. Um, And I think the reason this cartoon and this comic strip identifies with so many people is because there are a lot of people that feel like Charlie Brown. At least in some time of their life. Some of us more than others. Um, We have blockhead moments, right? That we feel like um, all of the things that Charlie talks about in the beginning of that. Um, So at the beginning of a Charlie Brown Christmas, we meet a Charlie Brown who is sad, depressed, gloomy in the midst of a Christmas season where everybody else seems happy everybody else seems to get it Linus even says you're the only person I know who can make Christmas a problem and then even in his house as he looks out the window and watches the snow and he decides to take a walk and he sees Violet his, his mailbox is empty nobody likes him Violet shrugs him off and is really mean to him and then he and then he goes along and he finds Pigpen, the like able to make a snowman with a smile on his face and have a good time and as nasty as he was and then snoopy just reading his paper and eating his bones like everybody is just doing their thing at christmas but he seems out of it He seems completely separated from everything that's going on. Everybody else seems to be happy and understanding what Christmas is all about. But he says to Linus, I just don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. And he doesn't know why. I think there are a lot of people that feel that way at Christmas. I think there are a lot of people, and and you may say even this morning, I kind of feel that way sometimes. They're going to do all the stuff. They're going to go to the family dinners. They're going to exchange gifts. They're going to go to the Christmas parties. They're going to wear their Christmas clothes. They're going to listen to Christmas music. And they're going to come to Christmas church worship services. But the whole time they feel completely disconnected from it. And they don't understand why. Why am I doing all of these things? And they feel like they're walking in darkness and they feel empty. There's a, a recent study that said that 64% of people say that they suffer from what we call holiday depression or holiday blues. And, those, and that kind of depression and, and dark cloud can come over the holidays for lots of different reasons. Sometimes it's because of grief. Sometimes it's because of um, loneliness, conflict. Maybe if there's conflict between us and, and a friend or a family member. But I think for Charlie Brown, it's loneliness. He just feels completely separated and isolated from from everything else that seems to be connected to this holiday that's supposed to be about joy and happiness and light. But Charlie Brown just finds himself in a real dark place. So with that picture in mind and that modern day scenario, I want us to go to Isaiah chapter 9. In your Bibles, and we're going to read verses one through three, and then we're going to skip down and read verses six and seven. Now, when we get to verse six, you're going to be very familiar with Isaiah nine six. You may not know it from the reference, but when we read it, you'll be like, Hey, that's a Christmas verse, that's a Christmas verse in the Bible. But what I want us to do is look at again, context some of the verses that come before Isaiah nine six, and I want to show you how Isaiah. And Matthew's gospel is going to show us and give us a little more insight as to, as to why um, Jesus has come. And what the meaning and, and what the purpose and, and the meaning of Jesus come and what it means for us. So Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Isaiah pro- is prophesying and he says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt... They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this so we see verse 6 in the context of this this larger prophecy that Isaiah is is Giving, And I want us to go back to verse 1 and I want you to notice something. Isaiah is comparing a time that had been and a time that was still to come. He was comparing uh, the past with what was coming in the future because we, say two, we see two things there. He talks about what was going on in Israel in the former time and then what was to come in the latter time. So he's talking about two different times. And he says of the former time, the time that was before, he says there will be no, no gloom for her who was in anguish. That's, that's the past. Who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now those, that's going to be really important. He brought into contempt is talking about God. So he says... For the people in those lands, God brought contempt and it was a time of anguish for them. And you say, well, well, who is Zebulun? Who is Naphtali? These are two of the sons of Jacob. And if we remember, each of the sons of Jacob were the the patriarchs of the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. And so each of the 12 tribes had specific land that they were given that they settled in. And so Isaiah is saying this prophecy over the land of two of those tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali. And he says there was a time in the history of Zebulun and Naphtali that was full of anguish. That was full of darkness. there was a dark time in their history. And it was because God brought into content their land. And you say, well, where... Where has this trouble come from? I want to take you back to a reference in 2 Kings. Okay, so if you kind of hold your spot and go back to 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29, it tells us there's a record of these two lands in 2 Kings 15, 29. So here's what it says there. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, this guy, king of Assyria, Came and captured Ejon, Abel Maacah, Janoah, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee. There's Galilee again, all the land of what? Naphtali, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. So here's the record in Second Kings of what happened that brought about the darkness and the contempt that was over the people as Isaiah was prophesying over them. He says it's because of this. Earlier in the chapter we read, and, and when you read Second Kings, a lot of it is, is sort of a, a list of the different rulers, the kings that, that were put in place over Israel. And some of those kings honored God. But many of those kings did not honor God. And Pekah, it says in the days of Pekah king of Israel, the people were carried captive to Assyria. Why? Because Pekah was not a king that honored the Lord. If you read earlier in 2 Kings, if you back up a few verses, it says that Pekah, uh, was not, He did not honor the Lord and he did what was evil in the sight of God as a king. And so as the king rules, so go the people. And so the judgment that, that God sent on Israel during that time, because of the king who was disobedient, which led to the disobedience of the nation, God allowed them to be taken over by the Assyrians and held captive. Why? As judgment. As judgment for their sin. Because they, they turned away from him and they, and they didn't listen to him. And so it was during this reign under this king that they suffered this way. And so in Isaiah 9, Isaiah is talking about this season and for these areas. And he says over over these lands and over these tribes in the former days, there was darkness. And there was anguish. And there was judgment. That's what he's talking about. But that's the former time. That's not what Isaiah's prophecy is about. It's not about the former time. It's about the latter time. So he says, in the former time he brought into contempt contempt, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But then there's a glorious but right there. (laughs) But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. These are other words that describe the same region. So what Isaiah is saying, in the former time there was darkness and anguish over them because of their sin. But there is a latter time that's coming that God is going to replace the gloom and the darkness with glory. There's a glory coming and it's going to come to those people in that region. In the beginning of verse 1 says there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. He's saying for the people who were in darkness. There's a time coming where there's not going to be that darkness anymore. He's speaking of a time that had not yet come. And see Isaiah when he was prophesying this. He didn't know it would be Jesus. He didn't know when it was going to happen. He didn't know who it was going to be he just knew this was a prophetic prophecy of the coming Messiah. And so he he inquired and he said, "This this is what is coming. And what he's basically prophesying is where there was once darkness, anguish, and gloom, there's a glory that's coming. There's a glory that's coming one day to take away that and don't miss this detail the the coming glory that isaiah prophesies about in verse one you see that he calls it galilee of the nations you'll see it in a minute when matthew quotes this passage there's another way to translate that It also can be translated galilee of the gentiles and that's really important because isaiah was prophesying to israel and he's basically saying that this region, the glory that's coming to this particular place, the land of Naphtali and 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 Zebulun, the glory that's coming here is not just going to be for the Jews. It's going to be for, for everybody. It's going it's to be good news for all people. Does that sound familiar? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for... All the people. Galilee of the nations. So you say, well, okay, well, there's this Messiah, but how is he going to come? And 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 who is it going to be? That's what verse six is about. So he says in verses one through three about this glory that's coming where people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and that... And how, what is that going to come in the form of? Verse 6. For unto us a child is born. He says this glory that's coming is going to come through a baby. Through a child that would be born. And this is just one of many prophecies that Jesus' coming would fulfill. This glory that was coming would become coming through a baby, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Now, do you see the you see the bigger context of this prophecy, right? Okay. Now I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter four. And we're gonna see how Matthew knows about this prophecy in Isaiah, and he directly references it, and it's just it's just beautiful. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. This is what Matthew writes. Now when he, meaning Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, John John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. Jesus wasn't in Galilee at that time, he was in Nazareth. So verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of where? Zebulun and Naphtali. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Jesus leaves. Um, he leaves Nazareth. And Nazareth, and he goes into Galilee. Which is the region that Isaiah was prophesying about. And, and Matthew says he goes into the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Don't you know Matthew knows exactly what isaiah said was coming and it's almost as if matthew is saying guess who's coming to town verse 14 so that and it says jesus did that for a specific purpose why did jesus come to that area that region verse 14 so that what was spoken by the prophet isaiah might be fulfilled verse 15 the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali The way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. You see how Matthew puts it there? Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Matthew was writing his gospel... He was writing to the Jews and he was saying to them, Do you remember the prophecy of Isaiah? Well, guess what? This Jesus that that has come, this Jesus that you have seen do miracles, this Jesus that has has taught you the truth about the kingdom, this Jesus who was arrested and crucified and murdered in front of you and was put in a tomb and came out of the grave on the third day, guess what? He was the light that Isaiah said was coming. It was him. He's the fulfillment of that prophecy. And, and Matthew goes right back to Isaiah chapter 9 and he quotes this passage. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Do you know that Isaiah made that prophecy 700 years before Jesus would come? Jesus specifically and intentionally came to live in the land that Isaiah said the light would come to. Here's the big truth the big point for this morning christmas is about the glory of christ shining the is about the glorious light of christ shining into the gloom of our lostness i titled the series that's what christmas is all about charlie brown because that's the famous line that linus says after he recites the gospel of luke so this is the first thing. Christmas is about the glorious light of Christ shining into the gloom of our lostness. Because we can identify with what Isaiah wrote in chapter 9, but because if you're because if you are a follower of Jesus for you there's been a former time and there's been a latter time. The former time for them was Captivity by the Assyrians. The former time for you was captivity to sin. And darkness. And the truth is, we are surrounded by people that are still living in that captivity of darkness. But there's good news for them. (laughs) Because just like for us there was a former time, there's been a latter time for us And that's what we're supposed to be telling people. The light has come to a people who are walking in darkness. There are people all around us who are depressed. They're doing all the stuff. They're like Charlie Brown. They're just going with the flow. They're doing all of the Christmas things. But their hearts and their souls are living in darkness. Because they have no idea what Christmas is about. And so there's a story To tell how many people around you are walking in darkness. They're faking their way through the holidays. Until they see the great light that has come. They'll continue to walk in that darkness. And the light that's come is Jesus. Not only born as a baby to save us. But we've been singing about it all morning. Born as a baby to save us grown into a man who would sacrifice himself and give his life and die on a cross at the hands of sinners and people that he created so that he could die, be buried, and then three days later come out of the grave in victory over death so that you and I could be reconciled to God so that that separation wouldn't be there anymore. But that doesn't just come for everybody. Did you notice at the end of Matthew's quoting from Isaiah 9 in verse 17, Matthew says something really important, that when Jesus came into that region and then he, and then Matthew quotes the prophecy in Isaiah, he says in verse 17, from that point on Jesus began to preach and what was Jesus' message? Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Is at hand. Jesus said there's a response that's required. The sin that, that you're captive to, I have come to save you from your sin, but you have to turn away from that and trust me. You have to trust me more than that. You have to trust me than your ability to try to not give in to that. I'm your only chance. I'm the light in the darkness. The only thing that can get rid of darkness is light. You can bring any other thing into a pitch black room to try to get rid of the darkness and nothing else gets rid of darkness except light. Jesus was that only light that could come. And the way into the kingdom, the way to the light was repentance, turning from your sin, trusting in Christ as the suffering Savior that would be born. And we have, we have sung about it. Oh, we've sung about it this morning. Isaiah later would write Isaiah 53, and it would be the, the prophecy of the suffering servant. Jesus would have to suffer. The iniquity and the sin of us all would have to be laid on him. And he would have to suffer for us. So the whole reason Jesus came and was born was so he could die. So how many Charlie Browns do you know? People walking in darkness not seeing that the light has come. You know, since most of us know the whole story of Charlie Brown Christmas, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by talking about stuff that happens later in the cartoon. I hope not. If you've not seen it, you should just watch it. It's on Apple Plus. You figure out a way. I've got a DVD if you want it. What you will notice in these scenes, and if you watch A Charlie Brown Christmas, you see Charlie Brown on a roller coaster of emotions. He starts out gloomy and depressed. There's a moment where he gets really happy, and what he thinks is going to bring him happiness lets him down again. And he falls, and he goes back and forth. From joy and happiness to despair and depression. And it's just a roller coaster from him. And the roller coaster of emotions and, and reaching out for different things to find the meaning of Christmas doesn't end until Linus tells him about Jesus. What you'll see is that Charlie Brown tries lots of stuff, and they all let him down. But he doesn't really get it until Linus tells him the story of Jesus. Praise God for Linus. Because you had a Linus. You're in the kingdom because you had a Linus. Who told you the story. And if you are in the kingdom, you're supposed to be Linus. I'm supposed to be lightness because we are surrounded by people who are walking in darkness. And the good news is the light has come. We're not waiting for him anymore. He's already come. He's here. He's here right now. I want to end with 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. For those of us who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, we've seen the light that he's come to take us from from the the despair and the gloom into glorious life in him look at what peter writes in chapter 2 maybe this passage again a familiar passage but maybe you'll read it a little differently now but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. So you are one of his, so that you can proclaim. That's what that verse says. Proclaim what? The excellencies of him who called you out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. Isaiah said, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Which means there was a time that you didn't belong to anybody. But now you're his. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know why? Because you can't earn it. You can't come into the kingdom with your credentials and with your righteousness and with your good deeds. It's only by his mercy. So I figure everybody in the room is one of two people. Either we are walking in the light or we're walking in the darkness still. There isn't an in-between. So if we're walking in the darkness this morning, I want you to know the good news is the light is here. Jesus is here this morning and he invites you into a relationship with him. But if you're walking in the light already, you're walking that, in that relationship with him, then you've got to be Linus because there's too many people walking around in darkness. What are we going to make our Christmas about? Maybe what God wants us to make Christmas about this year is just telling people about Jesus. Boy, that sounds simple, doesn't it?